Despite being outlawed in all countries around the world, human trafficking remains a lucrative and growing business, affecting millions of people each year. It is estimated that there are over 49 million victims of modern slavery worldwide, with many more vulnerable to being exploited. But what is human trafficking? How do you define and identify it? At what point does labor exploitation turn into forced servitude? Human trafficking has become a buzzword, thrown around in media reports and dramatized in movies and television shows. Even advocacy organizations offer conflicting definitions of human trafficking. With all of this confusion, the realities of modern slavery fade into the background. Human trafficking case with more than 150 victims leads to arrest. Children Human trafficking. Human trafficking. We wanted to break through the noise. Our goal is to raise awareness about this critical issue dispel myths and misconceptions surrounding human trafficking, and provide listeners with actionable steps they can take to support the fight against modern slavery. Welcome to Breaking the Chains, stories of survivors and activists in the fight against human trafficking. In 1980, at the age of 23, Beatrice Fernando had responded to an advertisement for work as a housemaid in Lebanon. She left her home country of Sri Lanka intending to send money to her parents and her three-year-old son. But in Beirut, Beatrice became a domestic slave. She was locked inside a home, starved, beaten, never paid, and forbidden from communicating with the outside world. Guards were instructed to shoot her if she tried to leave. After she reached a turning point and escaped by jumping from the apartment's fourth floor, she spent 21 days in a coma. Doctors told her she was paralyzed. And after 14 months in the hospital, she recovered from the paralysis and returned to Sri Lanka. In 1989, she came to live and work in the U.S. Today, Beatrice lives in Massachusetts, where we met with her to discuss her story of survival. Beatrice joins our meeting with a warm, welcoming smile. I am so glad you young, you know, students, young generation learning about it because um, and then taking the time to, you know, educate others about this issue because it's very important. One of the first things she shares with us is what she calls one of the biggest misconceptions about human trafficking victims, that they even know that they're victims in the first place. Even after becoming a victim, even after going home, back home, I was so unaware that I was the victim, you know? I took into the information what the people, the public are giving to me. And in my head, in my mentality was that nobody put a gun to my head and said, go, go and work here. It was my choice, my need. And I went there. And then if they beat me up, didn't feed me, whatever they did, I thought it was my fate. What were the reactions when you came home after you had escaped? Uh, were people celebrating or rejoicing? So when I went back home as a victim, it was like that wounded bird, you know. People were throwing stones at that wounded bird. And I had such a hard time uh, living in my own land. My my siblings, my relatives, my neighbors, nobody believed what happened was truth. They wanted to believe something bad about me that... I was the bad person. I went there. Why did you go? I felt so ashamed that my parents has to uh, move to another town. I changed my middle to use, started using my middle name. 
So it was a big uh, stigma to it that came with it. And that led me to come to U.S. In her new home, Beatrice found security and assurance. But the U.S. didn't come without problems of its own. For one, a lot of Americans didn't recognize slavery as a modern problem. The minute they heard what, heard what the function was about, human trafficking, and we call it modern-day slavery, they said, oh, no, 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 no. There's no slavery in this country, so no. And even though Beatrice was hundreds of miles from where she'd been enslaved, she found herself grappling with her domestic servitude. This place gave me the security, assurance, and the freedom to be who I want to be or whoever I wanted to be. But it didn't come immediately. It took me about nine years of hiding, even in this country. I didn't go to church. I love to go to church. I loved to sing. I didn't go anywhere. I just stayed in my house, just did some babysitting and didn't make any friends because I was afraid to talk, make friends, thinking that by accident, if I end up talking about it, then I would be judged again. Since moving to the U.S., Beatrice has become a human rights advocate and anti-human trafficking activist. In 2004, she published the book In Contempt of Fate, a memoir of her life in Sri Lanka and her experience as a slave in Lebanon. A year later, she testified before Congress in support of the reauthorization of the Trafficking Victims Protection Act. She has also worked with the Boston-based American Anti-Slavery Group and founded the Navasa Foundation, an organization that provides aid to the families of victims of human trafficking in Sri Lanka. We wanted to know how her experiences as a survivor have shaped her advocacy. You've talked a lot about the stigma that you faced as a human trafficking survivor, and I'm curious about what approaches you think work best to ensure that other survivors, when you're helping them, don't feel judged or stigmatized. It's a very dif difficult solution. You can't do it like magic. You know, you need to approach them without asking questions. First approach should be love, acceptance. First, you reach out to them and, you know, don't even ask anything. Just say, how can I help you? You know, even just commenting on them, you know, how nice and strong they are. And that's really important. And, and so once you reach out to them and if they open up, then you can talk. But it will take time. You need to give a helping hand, get them in. In Sri Lanka, you said there's a lot of people that like these services are, are not available because people have like, this perception of being judged or um, in the United States where like there are a lot of NGOs, but they might, might not be that helpful um, or like you might not seek these services. I guess I'm wondering what you think governments can do better in providing these services for um, survivors in Sri Lanka or the U.S. or elsewhere. Sri Lanka, the government is not really helping the victims. They like to cover everything up. If something comes up, if a nonprofit organization there bring up anything, bring it to the light, and they they will then file the case and work on it. But other than that, they try to hide it because they are mainly uh, focusing on sending women to these other countries because that's the foreign aid that they get, you know, make their own money. And they don't want to hear these stories. Even when, when I went home back then, my my father was a very good figure in our country and he knew people and but my mother went to the uh, one of the ministers 
and he shut the door on her. When she's crying, she said, oh, you always cry for this little thing. Who, who can believe what you are saying? I can cry too. Kind of like that, you know? So they don't, it was my word against, you know, them because there was nobody to support me. The government to this date, I do not trust them, especially in Sri Lanka. They are so corrupted. But here, there are chances. America is the place that I see. You have the power, the, the rules, regulations to do anything to help. What actions can we take as students or like gen the general public take to help fight against human trafficking uh, and to support survivors? Education, awareness, anywhere you go. You go to church, you have a gathering, you have a birthday party, you have a, some any function, bring a victim. Bring someone to talk in that group. You know, people will think, oh, that's a party killer. No, it's the best way to educate them because it, they are your friends, your uh, community. So that's number one. When you reflect on the last 50 years and your journey from being enslaved to coming to the U.S. to becoming an anti-human trafficking activist, are there any overarching themes or messages that stand out to you that you would want to share with someone listening? Yes, I always thank this country. The people who are born in this country does not know how lucky they are. This country is golden because you are so free to speak. You are free to live, free to eat, free to dress. The neighbor is not looking at you and counting and see who's coming in, who's going on, and what's, what is she wearing, what is she eating. You know, this country gave me everything I never had. Most of all, acceptance and the love and security and independence. Independence is the key, you know? And I always appreciate this land. I call this land my home and I love this land. I love these people who, who are always so compassionate. And the one last thing I also want to give back to those who are suffering alone, it could be human trafficking victims, it could be home, like in you know, household issues, it could be mother-daughter, father-son issues, they could be anything. But always remember, do not blame anybody for your issues. You have a trouble, if you have an issue, it's your issue. You have the choice to change it. It would be hard, but you have the choice to change it. To change, in order to change that, to make it right, you need to find the spirit within you to fight it and accept it and Go for it, right? Reach for the stars. You can reach for the stars, but you have to believe in yourself without depending on someone else. Believe in yourself, your strength, and take the first step. Thank you for listening to the first episode of Breaking the Chains, stories of survivors and activists in the fight against human trafficking. We hope to see you in the next episode.